up, thumbs down, somewhere in the middle. You know, this Sunday, Easter Sunday, of all Sundays in the year, seems to be the one that carries with it the potential for the most expectations. Expectations for the music you're going to hear. Expectations for the decorations you hope to enjoy. Expectations for who you're going to see and how they're going to be dressed to celebrate this day. You have expectations for the sermon. Try being me right now. (laughs) You don't really want to do that. Expectations maybe for change that might take place in someone else. Now maybe the Lord brought someone here this morning who never goes to church, but hey, it's Easter Sunday, and, and you expect that maybe that person will hear the gospel and come to faith in Christ. And, and those are all wonderful expectations that we bring with us as part of celebrating Easter, but what expectations do you have for yourself? Do you expect this Easter Sunday morning that you will change? Jesus does. He believes the resurrection is so powerful to change us and our world through us that we celebrate this morning. You know, most of our media in most of its forms tells us that we should not have hope or that we should abandon any hope that we have or worst of all, that all hope is gone. Do you ever hear that? Do you ever hear that? Am I the only one that hears that? We need to change that. Jesus believes keeping his resurrection before us should give us hope instead of despair. Jesus believes that keeping his resurrection before us should give us courage where there's fear. Jesus believes that keeping his resurrection before us should fill us with trust where there's doubt. And so, yes, Jesus has great expectations for every one of us in this room this morning. Expectations for hope and change for you and for me as we think about his resurrection. It's powerful, and so we must keep it before our eyes this morning. So we're going to consider as we come now to Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to open to to the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, the 26th chapter. If you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, you'll find that on page 833, page 833. And when you found your place in your Bible or in the Pew Bible, let's stand together so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 57, this is the word of the Lord. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. 
And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for preserving for us on this day the story of Jesus, not a myth, not a fable. Lord, it is the true story of the living God come to earth to live and to die for us and to raise again to new life and to ascend, to sit at your right hand even now in this moment. So as we come to your word together this morning, we pray, Spirit of God, that you would join your power to this word. And we pray that within each of us, change and transformation would come. Lord, that we would rise to the expectations that you have, that you deserve to have on our lives. Do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. This morning we are going to consider just three expectations, three expectations that a vision of the resurrection places on our lives. And the first expectation is this, that keeping the resurrection of Jesus before us helps us trust in the silences of God. Keeping the resurrection of Jesus before us helps us trust in the silences of God. Look with me in verse 63. It says there, but Jesus remained silent, frustratingly silent. He is on trial for his life, and yet he says nothing. And Caiaphas, the high priest, says, have you no answer to make? But Jesus remained silent. He would not defend himself. And that seems to you and me odd behavior. Why would Jesus remain silent? Which one of us here today, right now, would not defend ourselves against charges that could lead to our execution if we knew that we were innocent. None of us. We would all defend ourselves. Jesus knows that these last two witnesses that have just been brought to testify against him, the ones who said that Jesus said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Jesus knows They had misquoted him. Jesus knows that they had twisted his words. Jesus knows that they had taken his words out of context. What Jesus actually said was, destroy this temple and I will raise it up. Jesus uses the imperative, you destroy the temple. That's far different than saying, I will destroy it and I will rebuild it. The Apostle John puts it in context. He says, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus could have easily corrected their mistake 
and explained what he really meant, but Jesus remained silent. And since Jesus remained silent, since he did not correct their testimony or explain what he meant, their testimony could condemn him. Because it was considered blasphemy to speak against the temple of God, the dwelling place of God on earth. That's what Jesus had done. And according to Jewish law, that deserved death. And so we want Jesus to speak up, say something. Jesus, call witnesses. Jesus, tell them. Tell them to go find that widow in, in Nain, the widow whose son you raised from death. Go get her. Tell them to bring her here and testify on your behalf. Don't remain silent, Jesus. Speak. Go. Tell them to go find that Roman centurion. He would be a credible witness. He's probably right next door in the Antonia Fortress. Go get him and tell him to come and tell about his servant that was sick. Tell him the story about how he wanted you to heal the servant, but not to come to his house because you weren't wor- he wasn't worthy to have you there. But just speak the word, Jesus, and he'll be healed. Let him tell how you spoke the word. And the moment you spoke, the servant was healed. Don't remain silent. Jesus, speak. Better yet, go find Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Surely they would believe this man. He would be a credible witness. Have him come and tell the story of his daughter who was sick and she died. But you, Jesus, went to his house anyway. When he got there, the people were weeping and wailing. And you said to them, don't mourn. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed at you. (laughs) They laughed at you, Jesus, until you went to her room with her mother and father. And you took that dead girl by the hand. And you said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. And everyone was overcome with amazement. Jesus, don't remain silent. Speak. Tell them to go send for any blind person that you gave sight, deaf person that you gave hearing, lame person that you made walk, leper that you cleanse. Doesn't matter. Bring them here, Jesus. Don't remain silent. Speak. But Jesus remained silent. And not for lack of evidence that he could have produced. See, our love for the Lord wants him to speak. We know that if only he would speak, he could live. They may be able to charge him with something, but not with a capital offense for which they would crucify him. And so we want Jesus to get off the hook, or I guess more accurately, off the cross. But then what? See, you and I are merely human. And the specter of death haunts just a little bit, even those of us here this morning who are believers in Christ. Because in our humanity, we want to protect life. We want to preserve life. And that's okay, because death is not the way it's supposed to be. But that's why Jesus remains silent. To make it the way it's supposed to be, he must die to conquer death. And that's why he remained silent. He did not want this process in which he was now involved to come to a halt. He did not want to get off the hook. He did not want to get off the cross. Jesus' silence in this moment 
had been planned years before. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah lived over 700 years before this silent moment of Jesus. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah wrote about what would happen in this very moment for the Messiah who is to come. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Clearly, Jesus is the one, the Messiah, the Son of God. Therefore, he knows what he's doing. He knows when to remain silent. He knows what purpose his silence is working out. He expects that you and I will trust him, the Son of God, in that silence. That otherness of his will and his way. We don't like it when Jesus is silent. We don't like it when we don't seem to hear from him. Or when we think he is silent because he doesn't want to give us what we want. We have to hope in the silences of God. King David wrote in Psalm 22, O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. For David, the Lord was silent, but yet he is still God, he is still holy, He's still to be trusted, and he's still to be praised. And so we must learn, you and I, to trust the silences. Jesus was silent because he's the son of God, and he had his resurrection in view. And his resurrection is what gave him hope. And accomplishing that resurrection is what kept him silent. You do not know, you do not know what Jesus might be accomplishing in the silences in your life. And the scene before us should teach us that. We plead for Jesus to speak. Jesus knows that he must remain silent. He can remain silent because his resurrection is in view. And all that his resurrection will accomplish. And so Jesus expects that in the silence, the silence in our lives, that you and I as well will keep his resurrection in view. And know that he is God and trust him. Expectation, number one, that we will trust in the silences of God. Expectation number two. Jesus doesn't always remain silent. He, he speaks. And when he speaks, he speaks truth about what will be. And so here's our second expectation. That the truth about the future, what will be, will put our present in proper perspective. You know, the future... What will be should put our present in the proper perspective. When Jesus speaks for the first time at his trial, it is not to respond to any question that he has been asked. You know, have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify? Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. You get the feeling that 
Jesus is present. He's in the situation. But, but the words of Caiaphas and the action, they aren't really of very much interest to Jesus at all. It, it seems that in this moment, Jesus has been transported to another place, to a better reality. In fact, instead of listening to Caiaphas, I think that Jesus is singing a song to himself. It's going through his head. And the truth of this song is what is preventing Jesus from being overwhelmed by what's happening to him, from being crushed by it. In fact, it seems to be a song that Jesus has been singing all week long. Now, you and I get annoyed when we get a song stuck in our head, right? Can't get it out of our mind, and it's usually not a very worthy song. It's more like a song. It is a song that has no end. It just goes on and on, my friend. Now, look what I've done to you. (laughs) You're going to be singing that song for the rest of the day. Jesus' song is different. It was a helpful song. It was a hopeful song because it was a true song. Now, don't get me wrong. The Red Hot Chili Peppers, they're all right. But I hope that everyone here is listening to the kind of songs that give you lyrics that are true, that can give you hope and help when you need it as Jesus needed it now. And so the song that Jesus is singing was inspired by His Spirit a thousand years before this moment. And God's people have been singing the truth of it for a thousand years. Jesus quotes from the same song three days before on Tuesday. And so it's an important song for Jesus in this, His last tumultuous week of life. And here's the song. Are you ready for it? Psalm 110. Straight out of Israel's hymnal. Psalm 110 says this, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. And so here's Jesus. And he's surrounded by his enemies. Those who are are intent on taking his life. Those who will abandon truth. Those who will pay off witnesses. Those who will do whatever they have to do in order to convict Jesus of this capital crime. That is Jesus' present reality. And as soon as they bind him up and lead him away, Jesus is going to stand before Rome's powerful political leader, Pontius Pilate. That is Jesus' present reality. (laughs) But But the truth of the song that Jesus sings, the vision it puts before him, And the hope that it gives to him changes Jesus' present. Look in verse 64. These are Jesus' first words of his trial. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on clouds of heaven. Psalm 110. And so before we wanted Jesus to speak. And now we want him to be silent. Shh, Jesus, don't say things like that. It's answering his enemies in this way that gets Jesus condemned. You can look there in verse 65 at the reaction of Caiaphas, the high priest. After Jesus says these words, he gets condemned to death. But Jesus 
has God's truth. Jesus has a clear vision of his future in mind, and it transforms his present. It transports him beyond it and above it, even while he's in the middle of living it out. With his resurrection in view, it doesn't matter to Jesus what they're saying. Blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter what accusations they're making. It doesn't matter what they're going to do to him. Jesus isn't afraid of them. He says, from now on, from this very moment, from right now, the moment where Jesus stands before Caiaphas, the final fulfillment of this thousand-year-old prophecy begins, and it's going to end with Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father. That's the vision that was before Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Look what a vision of hope, a vision of joy, a vision of your most certain future can do for you. Do you know this morning what your future is? Do you know it? Are you certain of it? If, if you are a believer in Christ, you can be sure. Because whatever your present is right now, know this, better days are coming. Is that good news? If you are a believer in Christ... If you've repented of your sins and by faith trusted Jesus as your Savior, your resurrection is just as certain as Jesus' resurrection. Is that good news? You will be raised to new life. You will appear before God the Father. You will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. And you will enter that joy. And you will remain in that joy for all eternity. Is that good news? It is. If, if, if you are a believer in the resurrected Christ, Jesus tells you that your future is certain. He doesn't leave you or me in the dark about it so that our present can be placed in proper perspective. Jesus expects that it will be. He expects that you will be full of joy over the right things because of what's coming for you. He expects that you will be satisfied even in this life with things that are real and true and meaningful. He expects that you will pursue what is right and good in this life. That you will do what is just. That you will love mercy. That you will walk humbly with your God in the present because of what is coming in your future. He expects that your present will not overwhelm you so that you are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Listen, better days are coming. We need that perspective to live in the present. And that's why Jesus speaks this vision to us. We need that hope. We need that joy, and Jesus makes sure we have it, and so we should say, speak on, Jesus. Keep speaking, keep telling the truth of what will be to our souls. Expectation number two, our future should put our present in the proper perspective.
And finally this morning, the third expectation. We have to leave the passage of Matthew to get to the third expectation, but, but we're not leaving the vision. The expectation is this, that the vision of Jesus' resurrec- resurrection makes us more like him. Now we're going to go to Acts chapter 7, and we're going to meet a man there named Stephen. And listen, here's where we can connect, because Stephen was just a regular guy, just a regular person like you or like me. But he'd come to faith in Christ, and Scripture says that he was a man full of faith, full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Those two qualities, they are not beyond the possibility for any one of us in this room. You can be full of faith. Ask God for it. You can be full of the Spirit. If you will yield to the Spirit and not quench the Spirit. Scripture says that Stephen was full of God's grace and power. That's possible. For each of us in this room, God loves to pour out His grace on us abundantly. And He gives us the power of His Spirit. Because Stephen was like this. When it came time for the church to elect the first deacons, Stephen was elected. And then we discover that as a deacon, Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now all the deacons here at Redeemer are starting to get nervous. Through Stephen, the gospel was spreading. Through Stephen, the kingdom of God was growing. So... The same men who stopped Jesus now try to stop Stephen. And so they arrest Stephen just like they arrested Jesus. And they accuse him falsely just like they had accused Jesus falsely. And Stephen stood up before the very same group before whom Jesus had stood. And, and the same religious leaders who had the same power not only to convict him but to take his life were there. And so Stephen begins to answer their charges, and he speaks to them of Christ, the righteous one whom they had murdered. This made the group of men so angry that they begin to rant and rave and gnash their teeth. And while they are growling at him in the background, Stephen, like Jesus, is transported. Scripture says that full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and listen to this, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's just where Jesus told Caiaphas he would be from this moment on, because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. When Stephen saw the resurrected Christ, he could not take his eyes away from what he saw. Scripture says he gazed intently. And Stephen wanted others to see what he saw. And so he tried to point them to this vision. Stephen says, look, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, when he said that, you know what happened? The court rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they started to stone him. And while the stones were hitting Stephen's body, Stephen prays to the Lord that he sees standing by God. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That's just 
what Jesus had said from the cross. Could it be, could it be that seeing the resurrected Jesus at the right hand of the Father was powerful enough to make Stephen more like his Savior? Yes, it changed him. It changed his longings. It changed his perspective. Seeing the glory of Jesus made him long to want more of that glory. And so he said, Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, take me home. Lord, receive me. He did not pray, Lord, spare my life. I wonder what would have happened if in that moment they had stopped throwing stones. I wonder if if Stephen would have said, hey, don't stop now. Hit me with your best shot. With the glory of God and of Christ before his eyes, suddenly the things of earth were not so appealing to Stephen. Suddenly you aren't so desperate to hang on to this shabby life, not when you can experience the glory of the Lord. And then Stephen, he fell on his knees and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This is just what Jesus said from the cross. Could it be that seeing the resurrected Savior at the right hand of the Father made Stephen more like his Savior? That seeing his resurrected Lord enabled him to feel the forgiveness Jesus felt when Jesus prayed that prayer? Could it be that seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father transported Stephen beyond himself. And that the reason he prayed for God to forgive those who are killing him, Lord, forgive them, is so that they could one day see the glory upon which he was gazing. It must have been so glorious what he saw, that he wanted the same vision for everyone else. When you keep your eyes fixed on the resurrected Jesus you become more like him. And listen, he is beautiful. Do you know that? You know, the Lord is beautiful. He's full of grace. He's full of goodness. He's full of love, full of mercy. You and I, when we see him, we're transported beyond ourselves. Our vision becomes so much bigger than ourselves and our wants and our comforts and our happiness. Expand it to Christ and His heart and His purpose and His plan for our lives. The Lord has great expectations for all of us this morning. He does expect that we will trust Him in the silences. He does expect that the future He promises to those who love and trust Him will keep our present in proper perspective because you know what? Better days are coming. Say that with me. Better days are coming. Expectations that we will be more like Him and more like Him and more like Him as we make our way through this world. Because He has those expectations for us, He puts a vision of His resurrection before our eyes. It's powerful to see the resurrected Lord. It's your hope. I'm telling you, it's your only hope in this world. It's the only hope for anyone else. So keep your eyes on the resurrected Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we rejoice now in your resurrection. 
We rejoice in the reality of it. Lord, how we rejoice at Stephen, a man like we are, human, was so transformed and transported by what he saw. Father, we pray for that same transformation for ourselves. Lord, we pray that throughout our day, every day, you would reveal your glory to us. And Lord, that means we need to be looking for your glory. It makes a difference in how we live our lives. If we live our lives looking for your glory, it means we invest time in it. It means we invest time in your word, looking for you there. It means we invest time in prayer before you, talking with you, conversing through your truth, power, of your spirit. Lord, we look for your glory and the difference you're making in our lives and how we make decisions and how we treat other people and things that we choose to spend our time on. Lord, all of these things are looking for your glory. So I pray, Lord, that as we are faithful to look for you, and the glory and the power of your resurrection, that you will reveal yourself to us. And Lord, that we will be transformed people. And Lord, as we are transformed people in this place and transform our world, that's the way it works, Lord, by your design. We pray that you would bring it to pass in us and through us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.